podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Two-Footed Podcast on Friday, October the 9th. There's no football this weekend, it's just international nonsense. Uh, those of you who are internationally inclined may have watched some of the games last night. I'm not going to review them because I didn't bother. Uh, it is interesting to see that the Republic of Ireland went out, Scotland went through. Uh, you know, congrats to the Scots, hard luck to, to my boys. But uh, there's a bigger picture for Ireland, and that is the Stephen Kenny is trying to change the culture of Ireland of the Irish national team. And that's really important to us because the long bowl dreck that we've been subjected to for years has kind of turned a lot of people off. Maybe now with Kenny in charge playing a more progressive style of football, things will change. Uh, like I say, congratulations to Scotland. Um, Steve Clark has done a good job there. It's always great to see uh, one of the home nations go a little bit further than you expect them to. But that's that. That's the international side. B-Tech England beat B-Tech Wales and hot takes flew around the Twitter machine. It was all nonsense. It was all nonsense. The amount of, like, look, none of that team that played for England last night, with the possible exception of Joe Gomez, is part of Southgate's first 11. When you hear his comments on Jack, Jack Grealish, who was really, really good by all accounts, and then his comments on Mason Mount, who made a sub-appearance, you understand that Southgate didn't really put much stock into that game either. Southgate already knows what his squad is, and he won't be deterred from that. It's why we're going to see Jordan Pickford start in goal for England, no matter how badly he plays at club level. So don't put anything into those games last night. They were meaningless. England played a reserve team. Wales played a reserve team. That's just, that is what it is. But I will say congratulations to Dominic Calvert-Lewin on his first England goal. And it tops off, a you know, an incredible run of form for him. He has been exceptional this year. And it's not just him, obviously. Everton are playing brilliantly. They're four wins from four in the league, seven from seven in all competitions. He's got nine goals out of uh, the six games he's played, which... You know, last season he managed 15 all year long, but before that he'd never scored more than eight in a season. Uh, he's going to absolutely obliterate his uh, his own personal best. And he's another one that came from that fantastic academy at Sheffield United. Uh, I'm sure they didn't they didn't see that this would happen because they wouldn't have sold him so cheap. Everton paid, I think, around a million and a half for him. And that's already a bargain because if Everton just decided to try and sell him tomorrow, they'd they'd easily get thirty five to forty million from easily. Even with this current run of form only being a run of form and not yet indicative of the level of player that he is, because 
you know, he has to sustain this over a season. Now, not this. Nobody can sustain this over a season in the Premier League. But he's going to have to score 20 to 25 goals in the league for this form to be his level. Um, and the same for Everton. I mean, look, they're four wins from four. They're not going to continue to win every game. But they're definitely massively improved on where, where they were last season and what they were last season. I think if we take a look at their business, you see how ambitious they were. James Rodriguez, massively ambitious signing. Alan, massively ambitious signing. Ben Godfrey and Dukure, they paid big money for players that have done it in the Premier League. Uh, Unkunku, the backup left back, I haven't seen any of, but uh, I had Jeremy Smith on with me the other day, and he's very high on him. Said that he's a really good addition as a backup to Lucadinha, which was a position of need for them. They added Robin Olsen at the deadline to give competition to uh, to Pickford. And the big thing for them is they didn't lose anybody of any real importance. Leighton Baines was important as a dressing room presence, as a leader, as someone that had been there and done it with Everton for over a decade. But he was past the point of being a Premier League player. You know, Morgan Schneidlin left. I don't think anyone will notice. The same for Nias, the same for Cuco Martina. Um, these are guys that should have been gone years ago. Sandro Ramirez was let go. Martin Stecklenburg was let go. Again, these were guys that were hanging around, draining money from the club. Now, not the players' fault at all. The club offered the players the contracts they're entitled to stay for the duration. But the club should have been selling these players on. And they weren't. They The club were so bad at the transfer market over the last four years. And this summer, they finally seem to have gotten things right. And obviously, they've spent a substantial amount of money. But the return is that they've got a really strong first eleven. And they've got good depth. And depth is so important in the Premier League. If you take a look at Everton, they've got now Pickford and Olsen in goal. So that's, you know, it is what it is. Pickford's a decent shot stopper, but obviously poor on crosses. Decent with his feet, not nearly as good as people make him out to be. But concentration is poor. Handling can be poor. Olsen's a good keeper. And Olsen was very good at Copenhagen. He was very good at Calgary. He's been a good goalkeeper bar his time at Roma. And as I discussed with John Solano the other day, a lot of players that have joined Roma in recent years just have not done well. They just have not settled. They haven't progressed. It's not the players' fault. If it's happening over and over again, the club is the issue, not the players. In the same way that Everton had the issue, where a lot of players went there and it just didn't work out for them. So I like Olsen. I think he's a decent signing. They also have Jonas Lossel, who's a solid goalkeeper. Now, he may still go out on loan again to a championship club before the window closes, but he's a solid third option to have there. At right back, they've got Seamus Coleman and John Joe Kenny. Is it ideal? Probably not. Coleman's a little bit past his best. Kenny... Maybe doesn't have the experience he'd want, but he showed some signs on loan at Schalke last year that he is a pretty decent player. So between the two of them, I think that right-back position is taken care of. 
the same on the left now with, with Luca Dina and with Nkunku. Those two sort that position for them. Luca Dina is one of their best players. He's one of the best left backs in the league. And there was such a notable drop off when he would be out of the team that now they're in a really good position. Um, you look at centre back. Michael Keane and Yerry Mina have started the season really well. I think Mason Holgate's their best defender. He'll come back from the injury. And then obviously they uh, they signed Ben Godfrey. So then they've got four centre-backs they can rely on, which is one more than the Merseyside neighbours a lot. Um, Godfrey can also play in midfield if needed. But that's a strong central defensive unit. In midfield, they've got Alan as the holding player. They've got Gabaman who can also play there. And Godfrey who can also play there. Then for their, I suppose, box-to-box role, they've got Ducouré. That's the primary position for him. Alan can play there if you play Gabaman or Godfrey at, at defensive midfield. Tom Davies can play there. So, again, they have good options. That more kind of playmaking midfield role where Andre Gomes plays... Gilfie Sigurdsson can play there. So you've got two options there as well. Now, it's probably the weakest link in the first 11, that particular position. I think both of them are a little bit too slow-footed in the Premier League, but they've made it work so far. I should add Mo Besic can play the holding midfield role or the box-to-box role, but I think he's probably going to go out on loan. Um, On the right wing... James Rodriguez is playing there, dropping into midfield, that kind of free role that he has. They don't have anyone who naturally can play in that role, bar Yannick Balassi as a right winger. Um, I don't imagine we'll see a whole lot of Yannick Balassi, but you never know. I mean, Carlo has Carlo has a track record of of just taking players back into the team who've been, you know, sort of ostracized in the past. Um, Bernard could play there if needed and as a playmaker would offer a little bit more uh, along the lines of what Hamas offers not the creative passing but he's a, a really good dribbler he picks up space really well on the left side Richarlison is the starter obviously Alex Awobi can play there Bernard can play there Balassi can play there so they have options up front, it's obviously Calvert-Lewin. And this is the one place they may have left themselves a little bit short. Now, I know Richarlison can play there. I know he can play in that role. But he doesn't have a ton of experience in that role. Certainly not as a lone striker. And then they've got Senk Tucson, who's out for most of the season with a bad injury. So I think they may have left themselves a little bit light up front by letting Moise Keane go on loan. I think everywhere else they've got two options, minimum two options. But I just think they've maybe left themselves a little bit short up front. They will rely on Calvert-Lewin heavily now. But I think it's a very good squad. I think it's a strong squad that they can be really confident in. They've obviously got a great manager. There's great belief among the players. And if they can you know, continue to not concede goals... And have a striker in the form that Calvert-Lewin's in. And have a playmaker in the form that James is in. 
Everton are going to be a problem for pretty much everybody this year. There'll be no easy games against Everton anymore. It's not going to be the situation of the last few years where they'll get themselves up for certain games and then just roll over for others. This Everton team are for real, and people need to start accepting that they're a real contender, not just for Europa League, but maybe even for Champions League this year. They may well be a contender for Champions League this year. Now, I was going to do my top, uh, my sorry, my final prediction on the league table today, but obviously with the domestic window not closing till next week, I still do think there's a couple of players in the championship that could make big impact. Like Ishmael Asar could make a big impact. David Brooks could make a big impact. Emmy Buendia, Todd Cantwell, Max Ahrens, uh, Lewis Cook. There's a bunch of players who could make a big impact in the Premier League. Saeed Ben-Ram is another one. Um, So I'm going to wait. The window ends next Friday. So I will do them maybe the Tuesday after that. That'll be five. We'll have five games in the books at that point. Some teams will only have four, but for the most part, part, we'll have five games in the books. And on the Tuesday, which is the 19th, I'll do my final predictions on where the table will end up. Um, It'll obviously matter where teams are at the moment, how they're doing, and what they did or didn't do in the transfer market. Uh, One team who didn't do enough, I think, are Sheffield United. And uh, they have now been linked to a move for David Brooks, who, of course, came through their academy like Calvert-Lewin a couple of years ago. Um, They sold him to Bournemouth in 2018 for about £10 million. Bournemouth will, of course, want substantially more than that now. Um. I think he's a tremendous player, and I think he would be a great fit in this Sheffield United team. He's the type of player they lack. They do need a creative force in midfield. They got Lowe and Bogle as you know their future wing-backs who will challenge in those roles and potentially become starters this year or next year. Uh, Bogle, I think, quicker than Lowe. Because I think the right back, right wing back position is weaker than the left wing back position. Uh, they brought in Ethan Ampadu, obviously. That gives them an extra body in defence. Very, very talented player. And they do probably need to start looking to freshen up that defence. I still think they've left themselves short on the left hand side because I like Jack Robinson, but he's not. He's not a centre back. He's a full back, and he's he struggles when he's asked to play in that back three, and and they struggle with him there. Um, but Ampadu can play the central role or he can play on the right-hand side of the back three. Um, so if 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 Egan or Basham are out, he can step in there. Um, they brought in Rian Brewster, so they got their goal scorer. They got the, the penalty box striker that they wanted, but they still need a midfielder. I said it all along. They needed a midfielder. They either needed a sitting midfielder, which would allow Sander Berger to go and play in a box-to-box role, or they needed to play Sander Berger in that holding role and add a creative midfielder and kind of an upgrade on John Fleck. David Brooks would be perfect. 
he'd be absolutely perfect. He's obviously already played there under Chris Wilder. He knows the club inside out. I think he'd be a great signing for them. Now, Bournemouth will say he's not for sale, but have a look at their finances. Everybody's for sale. Um, he, he's just he's he's too good for the championship. Simple as that. He is too good for the championship. Um, and the next big thing I want to talk about after Everton was if you grew up around the time that I grew up, you'll remember the ads for milk. Um with the the two kids talking about Ian Rush and then one of them says if I don't drink my milk uh, I'll only be good enough to play for Accrington Stanley and the other kid says Accrington Stanley who are they so having seen that ad about three million times as a youngster the name Accrington Stanley you know it's it's one of the names that you remember you know you hear like Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham Hotspur. These names don't always stand out to you. Manchester United doesn't really stand out. Notts County doesn't stand out, but Notts Forest does. Sheffield United doesn't stand out, but Sheffield Wednesday does because it's unusual. Crew Alexandra stands out because it's unusual. And Accrington Stanley stood out because it was unusual. So I've always sort of kept a half an eye on what Accrington Stanley are doing and what's going on with them. So Andy Holt is the chairman and majority shareholder of Accrington Stanley. And um, he's very vocal in his views on the EFL and what needs to be done to help the EFL. And to be completely honest, I agree with, Almost everything he says, I totally agree that the Premier League needs to help the EFL. I totally agree that the Premier League and the powers that be in football need to put together a support package for the EFL right now. I think they should be doing more to help them anyway, because without the EFL, there is no Premier League. It doesn't work without the EFL. The football pyramid only works because of what's below the top level. When you look at the England squad at the moment, there's so many players in it that have EFL experience. So, I agree with the majority of what Andy Holt has to say. Has to say. But I took umbrage with something he said yesterday, and we had a little back and forth on Twitter, and I have to say, so what happened, let's set the scene. What happened was, Ferran Soriano is the, you know, one of the, the big wigs at City. He's obviously ex-Barcelona. And he's the current CEO of Manchester City. And has an involvement in, you know, the City Football Group. But he's not the owner of City Football Group. And he was speaking for himself. He was speaking for his own ideas. And what he said was, that the best way to stabilize the EFL would be for the top Premier League clubs to basically run B teams in the EFL. And Andy Holt took to Twitter to criticize him. Now, he ignored a couple of things. In Spain, it's very common 
for the B teams to compete in the lower league. Barca B, Real Madrid, Castilla, they compete in the lower leagues. They're not allowed to gain promotion to the top flight. They can't play in La Liga, but they can get all the way up to the, the second division in Spain. And Andy Hull took umbrage with this, and he said that these Johnny-come-lately oil owners, which Ferran Soriano is not one of, and these foreign owners don't care about communities. They don't care about the clubs. So that's fine. You know, that's interesting. Personally, I don't think you can say things like these foreign owners. His exact words, the radical shakeup needed is to stop the stop selling clubs to Johnny come lately oilmen. These foreign owners do not give a single crap for our communities. They should not have any say on the shape and operation of our pyramid. Now, to me, that reeks of xenophobia. To me. So I said, okay, well, you know, he seems to think it's just foreign owners who are bad. So let's have a quick look, shall we? So I'll just give the names. People can can Google them. Steve Dale. Ray True. Stuart Day. Dave Allen. Russell King, Darren Brown, Colin Gordon, Jenkins, Pattinson, and Nixon, George Reynolds, Ken Richardson, Douglas Craig, Carl Oyston, Mike Ashley, Gold, and Sullivan. Go Google those guys and see what kind of owners they've been for football clubs. There are good and bad owners from everywhere. To me, his comments reeked of xenophobia. Absolutely reeked of them. I saw other people say the same. Um, one of the guys from Market Insights had the same argument with him. And his response was to put up this stupid little handwritten scroll saying, I've explained this enough times. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You can't pin bad ownership on foreign owners in the same way I can't say, well, here's the list of 20 bad English owners, therefore all English owners are bad. You can't narrow it to nationality. It has nothing to do with it. Manchester City's owners have done an incredible amount for the local community. Go and walk around their stadium and then go and find someone that will show you pictures of what it looked like 20 years ago. Look at the building blocks they've put in place for the long term at Manchester City. Ferran Soriano is not part, part of that ownership. What he is, is the chief executive officer. What he was doing was speaking on his own behalf, giving his own views. He was looking at his own experience. I spent five years as the vice president and general manager of Barcelona where Barca B is a real thing. They buy and sell players just for that club. Players sign contracts just for Barca B. Whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, 
I don't really know. Maybe it's a good idea. It's probably not because what you'll get is you'll get City and Chelsea and a bunch of others who'll stockpile players and just throw them out in a the B team. But it really bugged me because I think Andy Holt does really good work and I really like his views and like the stance he takes. And I totally agree with him. I totally agree that the Premier League needs to do more to help the leagues below. But don't put it on foreign owners. The Premier League is not run by foreigners. It's run by English people. Go and have a look at the league is. Go and look at the Premier League board. See who they are. It's not on foreigners. At all. The most vocal manager against the Premier League funding, the EFL, is Sean Dyche. And his owner is Mike Garlick. Oh, he's English as well. So don't come with your xenophobic nonsense and then try and make excuses and then come on Twitter this morning acting the big fella thinking you're funny. You look like a twat. And it undermines everything you're doing. Ferran Soriano also drew my ire himself with something else that he said, though. He said... He was complaining about German clubs basically coming in and nabbing young English players like Jaden Sancho and Robbie Matunda, who you know went to Dortmund and Schalke uh, respectively for about let's be fair for about twenty million combined, which for two unproven eighteen-year-olds is not bad money at all. Um, yeah, Soriano was was complaining that you know. These clubs are coming in. They're stealing our young players. We're not getting the opportunity to develop them. The players want out because you don't develop them. That's the, the key issue. They they don't have a pathway to the first team at City. Um, Phil Foden is the only youngster who's really made an impression at first team level. And he is a very, very special player, a generational talent. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, but let's let's just back up a little bit, Mr. Soriano. Where did you get... Jaden Sancho, did you did you develop him yourself from when he was five, or did you steal him from Watford for five hundred thousand, which is the minimum amount you had to pay under the stupid guidelines that were introduced a couple of years ago, which again take money from the pockets of EFL clubs. If we want to talk about things the EF that need to be improved for the EFL, it is the agreements on what compensation they can be entitled to for their elite young talents. Uh, Robbie Matondo, did you did you develop him since he was five, or did you steal him from Cardiff for the same amount of money? So, City's outgoings for these two players will have been a million quid maximum, and they've brought in the best part of 20 million for them. And he wants to complain about that. That's called privilege. <laughs> That's what that is. And look, I'm not here to defend him him in regards to whether or not the B team thing is a good thing. I think he said a lot of things and some of them were stupid and some of them made some sense. But he's he's not the owner. He's not saying the things he's saying because he's a foreigner. He's just giving his opinion. And his opinion is worth listening to. Whether you agree with it or not, it is worth listening to. In the same way that Arsene Wenger saying the other day, 
that he thinks there needs to be certain changes made to the game, including rather than have a throw-in in your own half, you can have a kick-in, things like that. I mean, it's worth listening to. Is it worth, you know, going the full way, full way with? No, probably not, no. But you could try it. What would be the harm in trialing, you know, kick-ins in your own half for, I don't know, an under-16 or under-18 tournament? See how it goes. There's no harm in it. It might work. We don't know. Can't just dismiss things because we don't know whether they're going to improve things because they're a drastic change from what we do now. If, the, if, if Mr. Hold ever wants to come on this podcast and have a discussion, because it's really annoyed me, and it's annoyed me more that I've talked about it this morning. It annoyed me yesterday, and it's annoyed me even more today. Completely undermines what he's done at that club. Um, we'll wrap up with a little bit of news. Um, uh, Arsenal announced that they were leaving Mesut Ozil and William Saliba out of their Europa League squad, which is strange because, you know, you wouldn't imagine the Europa League is where Arsenal really want to be. And you would have thought that having a quality playmaker like Ozil and a young centre-back like Saliba, you would have them in that squad to get them some games and get some rest for your star players who you probably don't want playing, you know, in Kazakhstan or wherever they're going to play uh, of a Thursday night. Um, there can be no outcome with this with Ozil other than that they terminate his contract. They, they, surely his time at Arsenal is over and for everybody involved, they just need to reach an agreement with him. His, I think his average wage is about 15 million a year. They could just sit down with him and ask him, look, will you, you know, he, he's maybe got 12 million left on his contract. Ask him, will he take 10 and just, just wish him goodbye. Just, you know, thank him for his service and say goodbye. Uh, that relationship is not good for anybody. It's certainly not good for him, who at 31 really needs to be maximizing the last, you know, years of his career. Um, not not in monetary terms, he's made all the money he'll ever need, but just in terms of his legacy and you know, getting to play the game that he loves. Um, he's an incredible footballer. And I think there's, without question, there's clubs who would still love to have him and build their team around him and just get the most out of him. Marshall never really have. But, he needs to get out of there. Uh, one player who's not going anywhere is Kevin De Bruyne, who is in talks at Manchester City for a new five-year contract. That's courtesy of the Times. And this makes a lot of sense. Obviously, he is he's one of the best players in the world. He's one of the two best players in the league, maybe the best player in the league. I think for City, we've seen the the, the departures in recent years that have hurt them. Um, yeah, yeah, Vincent Company, now David Silva. You'd imagine Fernandinho will be next, and then Aguero, and then it'll come to him. And you know, he's going to be very, very hard to replace. But for now, he's in incredible form. He's started this season just as well as, as you'd expect him to. Um, like I say, one of the best players in the world. If, if you If you can keep him, you keep him all day long. And for him, it's it's nice stability. You know, he loves it at City. I think it'll be interesting to see how the next manager uses him if if Pep leaves. Uh, 
Um, it's hard to imagine you'd change his role, but you just never know. Um, Hassam Auer says he's not disappointed at missing out on a move from Leon to Arsenal. And I've seen people take great glee in this, suggesting that he never wanted to move to Arsenal. I don't think that's the point. I think his point is that he's quite happy and comfortable at Leon because it's the club he grew up at. It's not that he's had to stay in an unhappy environment. He wasn't looking for a move or pushing for a move this summer, but I think he definitely would have joined Arsenal if they'd met the asking price. They didn't meet the asking price. They went a different direction. They got Thomas Partey. And I think I think that's one that they're, you know, they're happy with. And I think he's happy to stay. Um the Michael Quassels thing is just funnier and funnier. Um it, it does appear like Leeds just kind of made up that he had a foot injury and pulled the plug on the deal. Uh maybe that was to save the money because they've got this John Kevin Augustine nonsense going on. But um, it does appear like he has, you know, he has no foot issue because he passed a medical when he went back to Bayern or passed testing on his foot and he passed a medical at Marseille. So um, it doesn't really make sense that he would he would have any issues. Uh, West Ham are considering a move for QPR's Irish midfielder Ryan Manning. Uh, they can also he can also play as a left back. They're also interested in Josh King, but apparently want to lower their asking price it's not really how transfers work just really isn't um so strange uh manchester united have rejected penarol's request to immediately take um facunda pelistri back on loan until january following his deadline day move um this is a strange one so that would indicate that they plan to play him uh, I would suggest that the loan might have been the best thing for him and then bring him over in January, have him around the squad for the second half of the season. And then, you know, he gets a full summer. He's already integrated. It seems like a strange thing, but, it you know, it's their decision. They made some strange decisions over the course of the summer. And I think... One transfer that I I still, it was obviously going to happen, and it's one that was kind of dragged on through the summer, but the Chris Smalling deal, I mean, it's been, surely it's clear to everybody that Manchester United need another centre-back. There can't be anybody who looks at United centre-back issues and thinks, or centre-back position, and thinks, yeah, no, that's fine, That's, that's strong, that's what we want. Um... And they're all individually pretty good. You know, Bailly is pretty good. He just He's a little bit rash and he's a little bit injury prone. I think Lindelof and Maguire are basically the same player, just different variations. But I don't think, so I don't think they can play together. I think both of them are better with Bailly than they are together. I think both are a little bit slow. I mean, Maguire is very slow, but I think Lindelof's a bit slow. Um, so I think both of them need a, a pacey defender next to them. I also think Lindelof is much better on the left-hand side than he is on the right-hand side, and obviously Maguire plays left-hand side as well. So, you know, that doesn't come across as ideal. They're not going to play Phil Jones. 
they've left him out of the Champions League squad as well. But you can't imagine he's going to play a whole bunch this year. It's a it's a shame. He's he's a guy who needed needed a move away, really badly needed a move away uh, this summer. But Chris Smalling, they could have kept. There's no reason that they had to sell Chris Smalling. I know that he had asked to go because he was under the impression that he wasn't part of the plans. But he had a really good season at Roma last year. Like a really good season. Especially this, the, towards the end of the year. There was a lot of hype about his start to the season. But it was towards the end of the season that he actually really picked it up a notch. Early in the season, he was scoring goals and people were kind of overrating some of the performances. But his defending in the second half of the season was was really good. And he's quick and he's aerially dominant. He's pretty good 1v1. He's prone to, to errors. Yeah, that's that's true. It's why he's, you know, why he's just a good centre-back and not a top centre-back. But... I don't understand why they didn't at least try Smalling and Maguire. I really don't. I, it it baffles me that United didn't make the decision to keep him, especially having watched what Spurs did to them. Because that went through right at the end of the deadline. You know, we I was talking to John Soriano on Monday and we were trying to follow whether that transfer was going to happen. And that was late Monday afternoon. United could have kept him, and they could have just kept him to, till January. He had two years left on his contract, so it's not like a thing that, you know, they couldn't have just kept him till January and sold him then and got their asking price for him. And they weren't asking stupid money; they sold him for fifteen million. Um, it, it's a strange decision not to keep him and at least try something different, because. If you're going to play the same defense that played against Spurs, that result against Spurs is going to happen again. Those defenders aren't going to get any better. Certainly not under Oli. Maybe if Pochettino came in, he'd improve the defensive structure and the defensive shape. But he's not going to really improve them as individuals. Not the centre-backs, anyway. The full-backs he'll work well with because that's what he does. But I just don't understand why they didn't keep Smalling. It's It's a very strange decision. Um, Arsenal have started screening their matches for members at the Emirates. They will allow 368 fans into the stadium um, who will have to pay £49 per person. The optics really aren't good, Arsenal. They're really not good. You just sacked your mascot and now you're doing the money grab. Please. Um, this, this made me smile when I saw Robbie Savage is said to be one of the businessmen planning to form a Phoenix club at the former home of Macclesfield town. This makes me happy. Uh, congratulations to Robbie Savage. I think if this is true, this is brilliant. I think it's great to see high profile people use their platform and whether you you know, rate Robbie as a pundit or, or not, it doesn't really matter. This is a sign of a good man trying to do something for for the game, for the good of the game. And um, he can bring a lot of eyeballs to it because he's got that platform. He can 
you know, bring some support to it. Obviously, he'll have uh, financial interest, and he'll probably bring some other wealthy people into the into the mix. So, fair play, Robbie. That is absolutely tremendous. Uh, just don't buy another Ferrari, Robbie, and me and you'll be good. And that's it. That's my show for today. Uh, thank you, as always, to, for listening. Thank you to EPLindex.com, who give us the platform to do this every single day. Uh, thank you to Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield are our presenting sponsor. They are a VPN provider. And with the blocks announced for the Champions League, as well as the Premier League ones that have been in place, you may need yourself a VPN if your IPTV is what you use to watch football. So get to libertyshield.com, use my code EPLVPN, you'll get 20% off, you can get the hardware package, or just the software that you download yourself. It's a great product, it's easy to use. Like I say, 20% off. What more can I do for you? What more What more, What more? more can I do for the masses than get you 20% off your VPN and turn up here every day and ramble incessantly in your ear for the hour? Like, you know, I'm doing what I can to help you out in this time of need. Um, thank you to Guy Drinkle, who is an absolute star behind the show. And thank you to you for listening. You're the most important people. Take care of yourselves. I'll see you Monday. Podcast Network.